Hi, this is Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. It is Emily and Jasmine. Uh, we're recording this on a Saturday morning. I am not a morning person. <laughs> I've never been, but we love you. So we mm-hmm. had to do what we had to do and make it happen early. Hey, we're here. Yeah. We're we are here. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> Teresa couldn't be with us, but two and two out of three ain't bad. Not at all. Um, so yeah, you'll be listening to this on Sunday, January the 17th, and we're recording this on Saturday, January the 16th. Uh, how are you, Emily? I'm doing all right. I, um, I don't want to rub it in. I'm a little more of a morning person, so I'm, I'm okay, but, um, wonderful. I'm so- <laughs> um, but I can't hang at night. I'm like passing out by like 1030. So, you know, we all have our burdens to bear but um yeah yeah yeah. all right grandma (laughs) i know i'm my mother's daughter what can i say yeah 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 but hanging in there otherwise i think um this week has just been a lot of processing what happened last week and it's also sort of hard to believe that was just last week I know it's like I don't even know I was looking at some picture and it realized that it was from like a year ago it's almost two years ago and in my brain I'm just like what is time what day is it what season is it I honestly this year I mean especially for for most people I think I feel like the older I get the more I feel like that but then also like in general I, I can't imagine there's anyone um at least that I know who doesn't feel like this year has just been like a total time warp. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's very strange. Like what's going to mess me up is when it's March all over again. It's going to feel like Groundhog Day. (laughs) The one year mark and we're still, yeah, we're still doing this. Yeah. The quarantine or the vaccine distribution still happening. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've, uh, done our water cooler small talk <laughs> um do we want to get into our local news segment yeah. you, uh, research uh, i am ready yeah let's do it all righty so this story comes from a variety of sources oh and i also want to say this so it's it's new jersey local so it's like you know it's like metropolitan area local but um anyway so yeah. this <laughs> i'll allow it <laughs> thank you um, this story comes from a variety of sources, including a November 27th article on NorthJersey.com by Monsi Alvarado titled Detained Immigrants at Bergen County Jail Stage Hunger Strike Get Support from Protesters. Um, another article from December 13th uh, on Pix11.com, that's the local New York uh, news station by Lauren Cook and Stephen M. Lepore titled uh, Hunger Strike by ICE Detainees and NJ Reaches 30 Day Mark. And then a January 5th article, so more recent, uh, on Gothamist by Matt Katz of WNYC, titled Ice Hunger Strikes Spread to Another New Jersey Jail. So starting with that first article on NorthJersey.com, quote, protesters gathered outside the Bergen County Jail on Friday to stand in solidarity with federal immigration detainees held at the facility who have been participating in a hunger strike. Uh, quote, we want the world to know the injustice that is being carried out with ICE, said Marcial Morales Garcia, a former detainee held at the jail who participated in a hunger strike before he was released earlier this month. Um, and then like sidebar from Emily here, this month would have been November. 
or when this article was written. Um, Emilio Dabul, oh, back to the quote, Emilio Dabul, a spokesperson for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, said nine detainees at the jail had stopped eating meals, but would not say for how long. A detainee in ICE custody is deemed to be in hunger strike status if they refuse nine consecutive facility-provided meals. That also applies even if a person eats food purchased from the commissary during that period of time, according to information on the ICE website. Um, which, I don't know, sounds a little... Um, that's ICE giving that information. So I think they're trying to make us feel like everyone's eating more than they are. But I, of course, I'm not there. So right. whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the article explains that the hunger strike is in protest of conditions in the jail. Morales Garcia explained that, quote, many of the hunger strikers want to be released, also adding that the conditions at the facility have not been ideal. He said the jail is dirty and that many of the detainees' medical needs are not addressed. So then we flash flash forward to December. Um, So the article on PIX11, quote, immigrants detained by ICE in New Jersey have now been on a hunger strike for 30 days, according to advocates. The detainees are protesting conditions inside the Bergen County Jail in Hackensack. The Abolish ICE NYNJ coalition and its allies allege that they are being subjected to a violent detention system and retaliation by ICE, as well as the Bergen County Sheriff. When anyone embarks on a hunger strike, they are putting their bodies on the line for the opportunity to be heard. These brave hunger strikers are protesting their indefinite detention and right to be reunited with loved ones and community where they can safely socially distance, a spokesperson for the Abolish ICE NYNJ coalition said in a statement. All the while, conditions at the Bergen County Jail continue to deteriorate. And this is still the advocate, um, the spokesperson speaking. Um, They said a rodent infestation, lack of heat, lack of clean water and abuse from facility staff have all made for unlivable, unsanitary conditions. The coalition claims ICE has retaliated against the hunger strikers by relocating several of them to different detention centers in upstate New York. It is futile to try to transfer the hunger strikers away from the protests. They are the protest. Elected officials and law enforcement cannot ignore the reality that as long as human lives remain behind bars amid a global pandemic, calls to free them all will not cease, abolish ICE, NY, and J Coalition spokesperson said. And then flash forward one more time um, to the January 5th Gothamist article via WNYC reporting, uh, quote, Hunger strikes and immigration immigration detention are now being held at the Essex County Correctional Facility in Newark, New Jersey, where 11 detainees have refused meals since Thursday, according to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The detainees are demanding immediate release, saying they are concerned about uh, contracting COVID-19 behind bars and insisting that they will attend their immigration hearings if given a chance to return home and go back to work. While they have complaints about the conditions inside the jail, which is run by Essex County, their complaints are with ICE, which has the power to release them. Essex County collects $120 per day for each immigrant it it detains for ICE. Since November, dozens of ICE detainees from New York and New Jersey who are held through federal contracts at a total of three county jails in the Garden State have gone on hunger strike. One strike lasted more than a month. Uh, Several hunger strikers have said that even though they have compromised immune systems that make them vulnerable to the coronavirus, ICE rejected their legal filing seeking release. One one detainee at Essex told 
Gothamist WNYC that the hunger strikers were moved to a unit that operates as the COVID quarantine. He said the move to housing with potential COVID patients was retaliatory, but an ICE spokesman said the detainees are not living with the quarantine detainees and were relocated in order to be under medical observation. Marcial Morales Garcia, who we heard from in a previous article and was interviewed um, for that article, quote, was freed on a GPS ankle bracelet following a nine day hunger strike that inspired other detainees there to refuse meals in hopes that it would help secure their releases. Instead, several detainees were subsequently subsequently transferred to other facilities outside of New Jersey where their strikes ended or they were deported. Quote, the Bergen County jail hunger strike also sparked an unprecedented protest movement outside the jail. Almost daily, anti-ICE protesters gather to bang drums, pray, and make speeches. Quote, ICE detainees are held for months and often years while awaiting court dates on their immigration violations. Many have criminal records, but contrary to recent statements by New Jersey Democrats who support the ICE contracts, they are jailed to ensure they show up to immigration court, not to be punished for crimes. The federal government only began such pre-hearing detention on a large scale about 25 years ago. The ICE contracts in New Jersey are particularly controversial because all three counties where detainees are held are run entirely by Democrats, who otherwise say they oppose President Donald Trump's immigration enforcement policies. Hudson County's commissioners, all Democrats, voted last month to renew their ICE detention contract for 10 years. And then I wanted to find out a little bit more about that. Um, so I did find an article um, from November 24th on NorthJersey.com. So some local reporting on it. And this one's also by Monzi Alvarado titled Hudson County Freeholders Extend Contract to House ICE Detainees Drawing Renewed Scrutiny. Uh, and Caitlin Sherman of Weehawken is quoted as saying in the article only hours before the vote, what is the point of electing Democrats if you're going to act like Republicans? I will remind you that people voted for you based on your statements that this contract would be ended. And now that your elections are over, you are breaking your word if you vote to approve this contract. You'd exactly. Be, mm-hmm, you would be proving yourself unworthy and you should be ashamed. Um, there's a, another a, a quote from the article in 2018. Hudson County billed ICE around $27.4 million to house detainees. Uh, James Kennelly, a Hudson County spokesman, is quoted as saying, an immediate end of the detainee custody agreement would likely necess- necessitate a significant additional tax increase this year, an increase on the order of $3.5 to $5 million at minimum at a time when the county's constituent municipalities are struggling with large declines in revenues due to the pandemic shutdown. And then one more quote, um, this is by Colin Mons, a Union City resident, uh, quote, ending the ICE contract isn't just a moral or philosophical thing. It's the only thing to do. Hudson ending their contract is not just a statement against this unlawful, against this awful agency and a statement against patching holes in the county budget with the scent of ICE's blood money, but it's a statement to neighboring counties with the same contracts that need to follow our example. Um, so I found that all really super fucked up. Um, and I also found it sort of interesting that the story hasn't really broken big outside of the local news circuit. I, I only saw it reading about from a local NJ um, publication. So I wanted to bring some attention to it. Um, and then I also really quickly wanted to contextualize like hunger strikes a little bit. Um, I found a 2011 BBC article titled Hunger Strikes, What Can They Achieve? 
Uh, and then, quote, unlike other protests, a hunger strike has no direct effect on the intended target. The protester suffers, not the person protested against. The protester relies on the moral force of their actions or the publicity value to achieve something, uh, end quote. And then suffragettes Gandhi and Republican prisoners in Northern Ireland in the early 1980s have all used hunger strikes to bring attention to their cause. Alrighty, and that is my um, research and extensive quoting from from other articles to to bring some attention to that story. Um, yeah, I I really I mean I'm glad I did this research because I I honestly had no idea this was going on. Um, the fact that there's so many Democrats um, in New Jersey, which is uh, I mean, you know, my hometown's like. There's a lot of Trump lovers there, but um, in general, there's, you know, it's a liberal sort of state. Um, and to have this going on, if you're not paying attention, you know, they're, they're literally there's some of these people are explicitly saying they're relying on revenue sources. That's why they're housing people in nice, nice detention. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it shows you how pervasive like when when we talk about like the prison industrial complex mm-hmm. and how it, it's big business like with regular prisons you see this it's mm-hmm. old as like oh this will be great for the local economy it's going to create jobs mm-hmm. like it's very mm-hmm. it's really sick and disgusting it's because it's bl- it, 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 yeah it incentivizes people to basically mm-hmm. go snatch people up mm-hmm. so that you can make money off of their head like being mm-hmm. away from their family now in a pandemic at increased risk Mm-hmm. You don't know what kind of abuse might be going on in the prison. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and on top of that, too, it literally they are they are being held so that they they come to their court date. This is not for right. crimes committed. This is not because they're they're at risk to the public safety at all. Right. Um, which just even like, adds more to the outrage. Yeah, and also I think that's imp- that's an important point to bring out. I don't think a lot of people really understand mm-hmm. it, the the way that crime is defined in this country is very nebulous. And when you break, like if you cross a border illegally, that is considered a civil offense. Mm-hmm. It is not considered a criminal offense. So you're not the fact that people are held in jails for these civil offenses is in itself technically it is illegal mm-hmm. but because mm. it's profitable mm-hmm. it's allowed to continue throughout the country and it's it's really mm. you know and I, i'm glad that you brought up the whole thing about how you know like we said the other week it's not mm-hmm. just vote who, no matter who you have to pay attention to what these people are doing because yeah. not being as loud and in your face about racism or whatever that doesn't automatically mean that you're not doing essentially the same shit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You got to pay attention to this stuff. Um, Cause people, you can't just assume that someone's under, under a certain banner is going to um, behave with your values in mind. Cause once you get to a certain level of power, you know, there's a lot of money in play. There's a lot of, you know, they, there's power and money and that totally, um, can corrupt you know even if they had good intentions going in you just got to stay on top of your representatives they're there to serve you um and the shit's atrocious <laughs> right and in in that uh spirit if you would like to support um abolish ice ny-nj 
they have a wonderful um, Google Doc that lists all these different ways that you can help support the cause and support the hunger strikers safely without going outside. Like I know, you know, there's a new strain. It's still a pandemic. Not everyone is able to contribute mm-hmm. uh, by physically being out. But if you go to B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash capital I, capital C, capital E, hunger strikes with an S, capital N, capital J, that link will take you to a Google Doc that has all these different ways you can get involved and support the hunger strikers right now. You can also follow Abolish Ice on Twitter and Instagram at at Abolish Ice, capital I-C-E, underscore N-Y-N-J. Um, that's the same on Instagram and on Facebook. It's at Abolish Ice, capital A, capital I-C-E, no underscore N-Y-N-J. And we'll, um, we'll include those links on our Facebook page this week so you can see it as well. But yeah, stay informed, but also... Mm-hmm. They're here to do what we tell them to do. And you can use your voice, get other people together. Um, the mm-hmm. more the merrier and support these people because they definitely need it. Absolutely. And, you know, just like the article said, this is this this reality has only existed for about 25 years. Like it's hard, maybe hard for some people to imagine ice not like not detaining people. But like it's, you know, history is long and that's a short chunk of time. And, you know, never don't be afraid to. Like, just because you can't, you know, it, it seems like how, you know, how do we break away from this? Like, it's possible. It was, po- it existed. There was a reality that existed before this happened and we can get right. back there. It's true yeah. of so many things. Yeah. You know, a different world is possible. A different yeah. world did exist. Do mm-hmm. like other worlds do exist in this kind con- in this world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't have to take it for granted that it's some insurmountable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's with mm-hmm. that, let's move into our first musical break. Um, topical. This is Sweet Honey and the Rock. They're a black um, female acapella group. And the song is Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Paul and Silas bound in jail. Had no money for the golden bed. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. All in silence, begin to shout. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, as we said at the top of the hour, Teresa isn't 
well, she's never physically with us because we're doing this all remote, but um, she sent us in a pre-recorded segment for our national news um, portion about the impeachment trial. So here is Teresa's contribution. Hello, everyone. This is Teresa Robinson. For my segment this week, I will be reporting on President Trump becoming the first American president in history to be impeached twice. Information for this story was drawn from an article in the Washington Post. The author is Amber Phillips and also an article from the L.A. Times. The author is Doyle McNamus. The House of Representatives called for the impeachment of President Trump last week after he sent a violent mob of his supporters up Capitol Hill, where they sacked Congress's workplace. The next stage is a Senate trial to determine whether Trump should be barred from holding federal office again. But if Democrats seriously hope to convict the president for inciting this insurrection, the best strategy is to slow down the process. The Senate is in the process of changing hands from a narrow Republican majority to a narrow Democratic majority. So the timing of the House vote less than a week before Biden is to be sworn in means the Senate trial will probably happen under a Democratic controlled Senate. President-elect Joe Biden has raised another reason to delay. Congress has pressing business besides the trial of a president who will be out of the White House by then. Biden wants the Senate to spend the next few weeks confirming his cabinet nominees and passing his $1.9 trillion economic relief plan. An impeachment trial shouldn't be allowed to impede this process. So many are asking, what about the 25th Amendment? Well, there were a few options besides impeaching Trump before he was to leave office on January 20th. He could resign. Or Vice President Pence and half of the cabinet could vote to remove him based on a section of the 25th Amendment that allows them to declare him unfit to serve. Pence responded that he doesn't think removing Trump now would, quote, be in the best interest of our nation or consistent with our Constitution, end quote. The article the House voted on is short, but makes three main points, mainly that Trump committed high crimes and misdemeanors because he falsely claimed he won the election he encouraged a riot, and he'd been putting action to his words to try to overturn his loss. Few, if any, Republican lawmakers are defending Trump's actions. However, few are publicly acknowledging his role in inciting the violent mob and trying to undermine a presidential election. Most House Republicans have been lined up behind the argument that impeachment would be too divisive for our country, while trying not to acknowledge Trump's role in the rhetoric that led up to the storming of the Capitol. They have offered um, alternatives such as censure, which is a much weaker option. If a bipartisan vote to convict Trump appears possible, it's surely worth the delay. If Trump is acquitted, he can be relied on to claim complete vindication, just as he did after his first impeachment trial a year ago. Trump's encouragement of the mob, he told them to fight like hell, and his failure to order them to stop while they were rampaging clearly amount to impeachable offenses. It's important to consider, however, that many lawmakers still believe he deserves a chance to offer a defense, which means giving him time to find a lawyer and prepare one. Without due process, Republican senators will find it too easy to duck the substantive question that will expose them to political risk. Did the president violate his oath of office and say they cannot convict him because Trump didn't get a fair shake? A delay might also allow evidence to emerge to strengthen the case against Trump or exonerate him. Congress and FBI should investigate what Trump said and did before the riot to determine whether he and his aides had any contact with the violent, well-organized group that led the mob. 
More evidence about the origin of the riot might even weaken the support Trump still commands among grassroots Republicans. Okay, so yeah, Emily, um, what do you think? Like, I, I feel like you've been following since the first impeachment trial. Like, it's kind of been your, mm-hmm. yeah, your like the, thing. how the the intricacies of the the bureaucracy. Um, yeah. So I actually, um, while you know, there's always going to be the bad actors who are just so you know blindly focused on their you know their far right base all that stuff um i was you know and i was really pleasantly surprised to see that i think what 10 republicans um joined the democrats in the house to um to vote for impeachment um and while 10 doesn't sound like a lot, like I had family members be like, it was only 10. It actually, I found this, I've, I've seen it written that it actually makes it the most bipartisan impeachment in history. Um, So it's, it, I think that's pretty, I think that's telling. Um, like I that, mean, it's telling because of how extreme <laughs> the yeah. things that happened. Yeah, I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. But it's also like 10 is not nothing, right? I think it's also like... um you know, tens, not nothing. Um, and then, so what happens now is the, the Senate that moves to the Senate as Teresa mentioned. And I actually, I really appreciated her perspective. I was like rolling my eyes when I was reading about it a little bit. Like, of course, McConnell's not going to bring it back. He can talk, talk, talk as much as he wants about, you know, trying to look like a good guy and being like, you know, not trying to keep all the Republicans in party line, but, um, Yertle the turtle strike. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but Teresa made a good point. Like actually waiting might not be the worst thing. Cause it'll, um, I think rushing it through could end poorly for a number of reasons, including optics. Um, but also fair like, you know, like legal legality and historically like fairness of giving Trump the time to, um, you know, like to quote, defend himself. I I don't know why that's in quotes, but he was going to try and defend himself, whether or not he in quotes, because what is there to defend? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And he's always defending himself. He's been defending himself against bullshit charges or like the charges are good. And he's been giving this bullshit defenses forever um, since before he was even elected. He was like, you know, Um, so I, I don't know what's going to happen in the Senate. So they, they need two thirds to actually convict him. And I am skeptical that they'll, they'll get that. Um, I think that there's a, ch- what was the Senate? What the, there's a chance the Senate could be more moderate and, and vote for impeachment. I think there's a better chance. Cause I think the house I'm, I'm thinking back to what I was reading about um, when it came to the, the election confirmation last week and how even after all this bullshit or, during all this bullshit happening, like a large percentage of house Republicans were still like, we want to, we don't trust these things and we don't trust blah, blah, blah. Like even with all this shit and what, and what it means for them to come out talking like that. Um, but I think the Senate was, had fewer, less of that. I think I might be misremembering it, but I don't know. I'm not really, I don't know if it's, if they're, they're going to be able to pull it off. I, um, and you again, like if he'll be convicted. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that'll if that'll actually happen. The the 
reason we'd want to see it happen was because it is because what if he is if, even after he's already out of office, right? Like, so it wouldn't be to remove him from office, but it would be to um, take away his post presidential privileges. Like, I think he gets like a $1 million like pension every year and he gets all this like private security for the rest of his life and his family does. And if they, and that comes out of taxpayer dollars. So if they do convict him, he would lose, like we would not be funding this monster. <laughs> um, this gaslighting, um, you know, narcissist. Um, and he can't run again. Right. I, don't I, know I that's something he is actually thinking about doing. I mean, you know he wants the power and he wants the vindication. So I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to run again. I think apparently that's a, that's a separate vote, but it's it's if they do get the two-thirds to uh to remove like the impeachment um vote to convict him for the impeachment offenses, then it's I think they just need a simple majority to bar him from running again, which so that they would just need fifty-one out of a hundred senators to approve that. I was reading, unless I am wrong <laughs> and misread it. But um so it's a separate vote, but it sounds like if they could get the impeachment, they could get that. Like it wouldn't be harder to get that. Um but yeah, I uh First president to be impeached twice. Uh, not surprised. Um, Two impeachments, one turn. Uh, oof, oof. Jesus. You know, like, yikes. Wow. It's, what a world. Yeah, um, I mean, we're living in strange times. It seems very... like there's a new, like, first and for the first time since blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's happening all at the same time, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. I'm very my main focus is just getting through inauguration mm-hmm. with everything safe. Mm-hmm. And I just I would like for him to disappear from the public eye as soon as possible. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the social media networks are helping with that. Like too little a little, you know, in a lot of ways too little too late, but he's basically is he been permanently barred from basically all of them or at least temp- at least to the end of his presidency but i think um he's been he's been barred from a lot of social media um which you know out of sight out of mind he's like barred from pinterest <laughs> yeah. i think I'm i heard that too like he's been barred from grinder i'm like okay <laughs> is he even on some of these things jumping on to be like you know what it's like when i when my cat jumps on stuff and he can't i swear like (laughs) yeah don't come over here with that bullshit (laughs) no vision boarding for you (laughs) all right like his pinterest would just be like vision boarding the next like rioter insurrection Jesus. You know what? We're saying that, but watching so much someone's shit doing it. I'm sure someone, someone is, is doing it. it. Crazy. Yeah. So, um, thanks for that, Teresa, and also thanks Emily for your input on um, that bureaucratic and complicated <laughs> but necessary process. Yeah. And um, for our next musical selection, this is uh, "Living Color" with Cult of Personality.
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for for my segment, this is world news, but it's also unrelated to the U.S. because, you know, unfortunately, we are involved in a lot of shit. So um, before I get into the actual story story, I'm going to give um, our audience some background on relations between the United States and Cuba. Uh, the following information comes from Florida State University's website. It's a chronology of U.S.-Cuba relations. So way back in 1899, the United States began a formal military occupation of Cuba at the beginning of that year. Two years later, the Platt Amendment stated that the U.S. could intervene militarily in Cuba to defend U.S. interests, and it required the Cuban Constituent Assembly to incorporate the statute into its new constitution. In 1902, in May, the United States ended its military occupation of Cuba and formally inaugurated the Cuban Republic. From 1906 to 1909, the U.S. military again occupied Cuba to put down an insurrection and govern the island through a provisional government. In 1912, U.S. military forces suppressed an armed rebellion of Black Cubans in Oriente province in order to protect U.S. property. In December, the United States ceded its rights over Bahia Honda in exchange for larger facilities in Guantanamo Bay. From 1917 to 1922, the U.S. led a military intervention once again in Cuba after a disputed presidential election and armed rebellion. In 1928, President Gerardo Machado unconstitutionally extended his re-election term to six years, which provoked an armed insurrection. In 1930, the U.S. Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act reduced the Cuban share of the U.S. sugar market, which exacerbated economic conditions on the island. In September of 1933, 
there was a sergeant's revolt led by Fulgencio Batista, which overthrew the Carlos Manuel de Cespedes y Quesada administration and aided in the establishment of a new provisional government headed by Ramon Grau San Martin. Uh, in 1934, the U.S. abrogated or ended the Platt Amendment. And jumping ahead in 1952, Batista deposed President Carlos Prios Socorras, canceled the Constitution, and suspended elections. In 1953, in July, Fidel Castro led an unsuccessful revolt against the Batista regime. Three years later, in 1956, Castro landed in eastern Cuba from Mexico, took to the Sierra Maestra Mountains, and there, aided by Ernesto Che Guevara, he waged guerrilla warfare. In 1958, the United States imposed an arms embargo against the Batista government. Um, The following year, in 1959, Batista left Cuba with his close associates, There was a general strike in early January, which forced the military government to relinquish power to the 26th of July movement. In January, the United States recognized the new Cuban government. And on the 8th of January, Fidel arrived in Havana. The following month in uh, February, Castro became prime minister. And in May of that year, the Cuban government approved agrarian reform law. In 1960, the Cuban government nationalized all U.S. businesses without compensation. And then in October of 1960, the U.S. imposed a partial trade embargo of Cuba. 1961, the U.S. broke diplomatic relations with Cuba completely. In February, the U.S. established the Cuban refugee program. In April, the Bay of Pigs invasion failed and 1,197 exiles were taken prisoner in Cuba. In May of 61, Fidel Castro declared Cuba to be a socialist state. In the following year, 1962, the U.S. extended its embargo to all trade with Cuba. It, it, It prevents all American businesses and businesses with commercial activities in the U.S., from conducting trade with Cuban interests, and it is the most enduring trade embargo in modern history. Jumping ahead a little bit, um, in 19, uh, well, 20 years, in 1982, the U.S. Department of State added Cuba to its list of states sponsoring international terrorism. Ten years later, in 1992, the U.S. Congress enacted the Torricelli Bill, or the Cuban Democracy Act of 1992, which increased trade sanctions against Cuba by prohibiting U.S. subsidiaries in third countries from trading with the island. So um, I just, I wanted to give that background so it doesn't seem like um, the newest thing is coming out of the blue. Um, But the latest information concerning U.S. and Cuba is that Trump's administration has put Cuba back um, on the sponsor of global terrorism list. Um, This information comes from AP News from the Associated Press. Uh, Matthew Lee, Joshua Goodman, and Andrea Rodriguez in Havana contributed to this report. Uh, The article is called Trump Hits Cuba with New Terrorism Sanctions in Waning Days. 
So this happened on uh, this past Monday. Cuba was redesignated as a state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, the island is therefore being hit with new sanctions right before Joe Biden's inauguration. The president-elect has said that he planned to renew relations with Cuba under his admin. A secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, made the announcement and claimed that it's because Cuba harbors U.S. refugees, uh, U.S. fugitives, sorry, refuses to extradite Colombian guerrilla commanders and supports Venezuela's president, Nicolas Maduro. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm sure our listeners will remember one of President Barack Obama's main foreign policy achievements was being able to remove Cuba from the, this blacklist. And the move was endorsed by Biden while he was vice president. Uh, ties between the two nations had been essentially frozen from the time Fidel Castro took power in 1959. So um, the thaw of that frozen relationship was a big deal because it had been so long. Um, Trump has sought to reverse many of Obama's decisions involving Cuba, and he rolled back many of the sanctions that Obama had eased or lifted after the restoration of full diplomatic relations in 2015. Um, the Trump administration, in addition to attacking Cuba for supporting Venezuela's Maduro, the admin also suggests that Cuba may have been behind or allowed alleged sonic attacks that left dozens of U.S. diplomats in Havana with brain injuries starting in late 2016. However, this stance that um, the U.S. has taken on Cuba is not popular internationally. Um, very few U.S. allies believe that Cuba is a sponsor of international terrorism. Most U.S. allies either disagree with the definition of like what is a state a sponsor of um, international terrorism based on their support for Maduro, or they reject American claims that Cuban authorities are financing or otherwise planning international terrorist attacks. Um, Rep Representative Gregory Meeks, who's the new chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee says that Trump's designation would not help the Cuban people and seeks only to tie the hands of the Biden administration. Uh, this is a direct quote from Representative Meeks. This designation of Cuba as a state sponsor of terrorism with less than a week to go in his presidency and after he incited a domestic terror attack on the U.S. Capitol, that's hypocrisy, Meeks said in an interview with the Associated Press. Um, this move is, however, cheered by Cuban-American and Venezuelan exiles in South Florida, uh, and the Trump administration has steadily been increasing restrictions on flights, trade, and financial transactions between the U.S. and the island. Um, the other nations that are on this list are North Korea, Syria, and Iran. Travel from the U.S. to Cuba will be barred as well as the sending of money transfers to Cuba from relatives in the U.S., which is um, particularly damaging since, you know, there's a lot of people who are impoverished that depend on that revenue coming from their loved ones. So that's extremely cruel, um, in my opinion. Um, so, yes, one of the some of the examples of the things that the U.S. has 
accuse Cuba of doing is, or, you know, that's they really harp on, is that Cuba has repeatedly refer- refused to turn over fugitives, including Asadis Shakur, who was convicted of killing a New Jersey state trooper in the 70s. Uh, U.S. fugitives there have received free housing, health care, and other benefits thanks to Cuba's government. And uh, that government insists that the U.S. has no, quote, legal or moral basis to demand their return. So, um, yeah, it's it's very sad that, you know, right before we're going to have a new administration that such a huge blow would be struck against Cuba in this way. But yeah, I wanted to um, bring that to our listeners' attention that that's what's going on. Thank you for doing that story, Jasmine. I, um, I'm certainly not an expert on Cuban-American relations, and I don't think I realized... I don't think I knew any history pre like JFK, like Bay of Pigs era, um, all of that stuff. Um, So thank you so much for really showing how draw, like how far back this, like this, like the U S is like always involved in, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's always about like money or, okay. It's, it's very often, at the heart of it, it comes down to money and it comes down to power and control. And, um, and it, I mean, it certainly feels like that's what's happening now. Cause to be on the same list as like North Korea, Iran, and Syria who, um, committed, you know, such atrocious human, you know, Syria with the, the civil war going on there and the atrocious human rights issues and Iran and North Korea and the nuclear like war, like, um, the nuclear, programs that they're currently going on to be included on a list like that feels um like you know one of these is not like the other um and it's yeah yeah i mean i would say um we've talked about it before on this show but i also personally i don't agree with sanctioning mm-hmm. those other countries either right yeah we have um, because as was brought up in the ap article um and as Cuba's government said, as far as returning U.S. fugitives from justice, mm-hmm. quote unquote, that this country has no moral right mm-hmm. to act like, you yeah. know, we're the world's police, because it, it's very obvious that this country likes to pick and choose based on things completely unrelated yeah. to actual human rights violations. Exactly. Who to sanction and who not to sanction. So, you know, it's not really about any type of ethics or any mm-hmm. of that I mean, yeah. look at what happened with Khashoggi, you mm-hmm. know, and like the journalist who was, yep, you know, trigger warning, but he was murdered like by his government. He was a dissident, and I don't see a lot mm-hmm. happening between this country and Saudi Arabia. Yep, yeah, you know, and why is that? Yeah. So I, it's all all these excuses, like, oh yeah, it's be it's because they're because they're uh they're they're doing bad stuff it's like please shut the fuck up like look mm-hmm. at what just happened in this in the capital mm-hmm. of this country they're running after asada over one dead person from years ago and it's people that have killed multiple and they're about to you know gone scot-free in the u.s mm-hmm. or people making gofundmes for them when they've shot down innocent people so mm-hmm. whatever reason they give them like it's a bunch of bullshit it's just to be cruel. 
mm-hmm. you know, especially because yeah. these things don't, they don't hurt anybody, but the regular people that yeah. are just trying to make it, you know, what, what are you accomplishing by saying, if you have your family back home, well, sucks for you, like you can't send them money or you can't mm-hmm. send them things to make their life easier. Like that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about on the show too, where, um, these sorts of, uh, governmental sanctions really at the end of the day do just hurt the the individual people who have nothing to do with whatever violations are being punished in the first place at the end of the day they are the people that are most hurt by them um yeah Hmm. yeah for sure Um, in that ap article that i was reading from uh they mentioned that it will take I don't know why, but they said that even when um, Biden is sworn in, in order to try to reverse that, it would take up to a year or more, which I don't, I personally don't, I don't understand why it would take so long. I would have to do some more research because it seems like it's in the last four years, it seems like it's quite easy for the president to just decide, like, I just feel like doing this and getting it done. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, just imagine all the suffering that would happen mm-hmm. over that year mm-hmm. just out of spite, like mm-hmm. ideological spite, you know, it's, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. But um, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll see what develops. And uh, with that, this is a song from one of Cuba's exports, greatest exports, uh, Miss Celia Cruz with Johnny Pacheco. And this is the song Canto a la Habana. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn.
you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com forward slash New York City and check out a live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on instagram.com forward slash cityrunningtours. Um, and so now we have something positive that you looked up, Emily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. So this story comes from a January 11th article by Andy Corbley on the Good News Network titled Arctic, Arctic Oil Drilling Plans Suffer Stunning Setback as Almost No One Shows Up for the Sale. So the article explains, quote, in a stunning setback to the waning Trump administration's long-stated goal of energy independence, a recent auction for oil drilling leases in the Alaskan Arctic attracted no major oil companies. After literally generations of debate, when the federal government put a 5% slice of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge up for lease, the long-anticipated flood of oil interests simply didn't show up. Quote, the region is known as the coastal plain and federal estimates say a transformational supply of oil wealth, about 11.8 billion barrels, lie underneath the area that provides rich habitat for seabirds, polar bears, caribou and other animals. Quote, whether the astonishing absence of interest was due to a lack of infrastructure or roads around the coastal plain, the decline of fossil fuel investments and use during the pandemic, or the perception that every inch of the Arctic would legal would be legally fought over by indigenous tribes and environmental activists, what was supposed to be a historic day, a historic day ended with crickets and question marks. <laughs> Quote Adam Colton, the executive director of Alaska Wilderness League, described it as an epic failure and a huge embarrassment. Essentially, the Trump administration had a party, hoped the oil industry would show up, and it didn't, Colton said, according to AP. It's a death knell for anybody who's arguing that this is going to be an oil jobs and revenue bonanza. I mean, they've just been unmasked. Indigenous groups were sad to see the leases offered. However, the concerns they raised during the public comment period did result in 460,000 acres or 10 leasable tracts being withdrawn due to wildlife concerns involving caribou and polar bears. Um, so, yeah. So, Jasmine, you mentioned to me the other day that, you know, climate catastrophe is a huge fear, um, even with the historic 10 percent. I think it was 10 percent drop of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. last year. 2020 still tied for the hottest year on record. So um, I figured that any news that shows we're moving away from practices that contribute to global warming is good news. And the fact that um, I mean, for me personally, it's just so like it's sort of like one of those delicious stories where like you have all these like people willing to, you know, murder all these <laughs> like you know wildlife species to get to the oil and then all of a sudden like no one wants it <laughs> so um that was sort of like a fun twist on it for me and of course you know the fight's not over they're not going to stop trying to there's going to always be people trying to make money off of oil um all these rich old men uh probably women too but um 
yeah, it was, I was happy to read that one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's hope that it continues to not be sold. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I, totally. You know, like, yeah, and you you hit the nail on the head. I did tell you, like, I know that's mm-hmm. a massive thing that's always on my mind is yeah. climate, like e- ecological collapse and climate catastrophe because it, it's really moving like faster than a speeding bullet. Or... Mm-hmm. So, Emily, would you would you like to tell the people where they can find us on social media? Oh, for I sure would, Jasmine. So do you know the handles? I think I do. I definitely know the Instagram handle. I'll do Instagram. You do Facebook? No, no. No, I do both? Okay. Yeah. Okay, like, that's I, fine. <laughs> I'm in the hot seat. Okay, so you can find us on... Um, our uh, Instagram page at objection to the rule is our handle. It's pretty simple, straightforward. Um, Jasmine does a, an amazing job keeping that page um, alive. And she is truly a master at the Instagram story. Um, You really have to come check out her content. Um, And then we are also on Facebook where uh, Teresa and Jasmine, I believe work jointly to keep that, um, beautiful page updated with incredible links and you can find that on um, www.facebook.com slash objection radio free bk um, so a little bit different than our instagram handle but um, definitely come check out those pages they've got great links uh, that expand on the stories we tell um, and you know links from the stories we tell too so come check us out yeah and like uh- as always you can see where we post up ways that you can stay connected mm-hmm. and get involved with the issues that we talk about on the show because as we said it's not enough to just be aware of what's going on you have to find a way to get involved as well mm-hmm. so um thank you for listening to just the two <laughs> and also Teresa for her contribution yeah. um and Lest we forget, this coming Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a federal holiday. Uh, This past Friday was his birthday. So do something um, to celebrate his memory or to Mm -hmm. honor his memory. Um, Learn something new about the man. He wasn't just about nonviolence. He was also Mm anti-war, anti-imperialism, pro-worker, which often gets erased. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. All right. Have a good rest of your weekend, everybody. And thanks for listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be back next Sunday at 1 p.m.